Saint Gianna Mola once said, the secret of happiness is to live moment by moment. Welcome to the 68th episode of Saint Dipna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember the importance of being mindful of the present moment and to make an effort to experience that moment with all our strength for all it's worth. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mention. First up, you know I like to make sure to highlight when someone is openly talking about mental health in the public sphere, and today that person is Olympic long-distance athlete Alexi Pappas. She recorded an opinion video for the New York Times, and I wanted to share what she said because it's so rare to hear people talk so openly about their experiences. She shared, I've always been an extremely motivated person, and that mindset took me all the way to the Olympics, but that mentality did not prepare her for what came next, what she called, quote, the biggest challenge of her life. She grappled with severe depression after competing for her ancestral homeland, Greece, in the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio. She shared, quote, it began with sleeplessness. I couldn't turn my mind off. I was so unprepared for this tremendous crash. The former NCAA All-American says that people told her to snap out of it and be herself again by continuing to push herself mentally and physically via training. An average week saw Pappas with one hour of sleep per night and 120 miles of running under her belt and unhealthy balance, which inevitably took its toll and led her to a clinical diagnosis for depression. Pappas' situation nearly led her to commit suicide, just as her own mother had done when she was just four years old. But her father encouraged her to seek help and told her, we aren't going to lose this time. I just want to praise Pappas for putting all of this out there. It's such a beacon of hope for those of us who are similarly suffering. It shows so clearly that depression is not a sign of personal weakness or some kind of moral failure, but that it can very literally impact any of us at any time. No matter how disciplined we are, no matter how smart we are, no matter how well our life is going. So let's all commit to continuing to share our own stories, to help people understand that they aren't alone, and to know that reaching out for help is a sign of strength and not a weakness. On to the next topic. We all need a little silver lining in the pandemic news, don't you think? The New York Times shares a story of how mental health startups have been popping up and challenging the system that's been coming up short for so long. Aurelia Safira was on a mission, shaken by the attempted suicide of a friend during her freshman year at Stanford University in 2013. Ms. Safria sought to understand the opaque mental health care system. She soon learned of the shortage of qualified therapists, and even when there are more than plentiful, of the hurdles to obtaining care. Although a computer science and math major, she eventually enrolled in a clinical psychology graduate program at Columbia University. But she kept coming back to a fundamental view, that there's often a mismatch between need and services, an essential supply and demand question. 
It's very difficult to start and keep up a therapy business, Ms. Safria said. It's a 10-person job, not a one-person job, from marketing yourself, doing your own financing, and managing your own rent. But even before you get to a place where you manage all those things, what's so challenging is making a name for yourself so that people want to go to you. And so in 2019, she founded Real Therapy, a small business designed to tackle mental health and overall wellness by easing access and offering a range of services to answer clients' needs. Driven by personal experience and further motivated by the pandemic, which has caused an increase in anxiety and depression among the general population, including among young adults, entrepreneurs like Ms. Safria are focusing on addressing aspects of mental health care system that they view as broken. They seem undeterred by the complicated nature of that system, a Byzantine insurance process, a wide range of provider types, and elusive fits between patients and therapists. So, you know, this is so exciting to me, obviously, and hopefully to you as well. The mental health system, while filled with a very uh, a, a very large group of skilled people who really want to help those suffering in our communities, is a broken system. It's hard to navigate, hard to know all the options available, and don't, don't even get me started when it comes to the barriers related to insurance. This pandemic has shifted so much of how we think about what is normal in our world, and I'm hopeful that the shift we're being forced to consider in the mental health world will lead to better access and better services for everyone who needs help. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Mother Cabrini. In 1850 in Italy, Maria Francesca Cabrini was one of 13 children, only four of whom survived beyond adolescence. After the death of her parents when she was just 20 years old, Maria applied to join the Daughters of the Sacred Heart, but was told that she was too frail to successfully engage in their way of life. She began to teach, and eventually, along with seven other women, founded the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The sisters took in orphans, opened a school, and sold embroidery to earn a little money on the side. In 1887, Cabrini went to the Pope to ask for approval to form missions in China, but he instead told her that he wanted her to go to the United States to help the Italian immigrants there. She left the U.S. just two years later, and she showed up in New York and organized catechism and educational classes for those in need while providing for many of the area's orphans. She also founded a hospital that stayed open all the way until 2008. She later moved to Chicago to continue this amazing work and ended up founding 67 missionary institutes to serve the sick and poor long before the U.S. government provided any of its social services to those in need. She became a U.S. citizen in 1909 and was the very first U.S. citizen to be canonized. Also, I, I love this, Mother Cabrini is informally recognized as an effective intercessor for finding a parking space. As one priest explained, she lived in New York City. She understands traffic. Mother Cabrini is such an awesome example to all of us. She thought she was following God's plan for her life only to get turned down, but she didn't let that deter her. She trusted in his providence, continued to work through what he wanted for her, and went on to help so, so many. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Merciful and eternal God, source of all gifts, I trust in your mercy and love. You have urged us through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to ask you for assistance in all our needs. Grant me, through the intercession of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, whom I invoke, that I may obtain the grace I desire, that there may be an end to mental health stigma in our church and our world. 
according to your holy will. I offer you praise and thanksgiving. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. I was wondering if you could expand on the statement you often make that no one would choose to have a mental illness. My parents and in-laws often challenge me when I talk about mental illness by saying that people just want to be victims and they just want things to be easier for them because they are weak. It made it really hard for me to talk about my own mental health struggles and it also makes my inner monologue worse because I start to believe my feelings are invalid and I am weak or attention seeking which often stops me from getting help. Do you have any suggestions for combating this mentality? Let's all join together in prayer for Anonymous, for an end to the misunderstandings people have about mental health symptoms, and for peace in the hearts of everyone suffering today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. This message is heartbreaking, and unfortunately, it's more common than many of us might think. So let me start by saying this as clearly as possible. People do not experience mental illness because they are weak or because they want to be victims or just want attention. Just like broken arms are not caused by being weak or wanting to be a victim or wanting attention. They are actual illnesses and they need actual treatment and care and understanding. So when I say no one would choose to have a mental illness, what I'm saying is that if we were given the choice, we would all choose to be happy, full of joy, and have an easy life. We wouldn't choose to feel so depressed we can't get motivated to take care of ourselves or so anxious that we experience daily panic attacks. We have to remember this when we're talking with anyone who is suffering. It isn't their fault, and they deserve our help and compassion. I'm sorry that you've received this message, and I want to say it's most important to work on your own self-dialogue before you can help your family understand, because I don't think you should be expected to take on the burden of trying to help your family understand this reality, at least at this present time. Instead, here might be an idea you can utilize to fight this mentality within yourself, which all of us have internalized at some point. First, make a list of the mental health symptoms that you're experiencing uh, in a column. And then in another column to the right of that, write down a feeling that you'd rather be experiencing instead of those symptoms, like anxious or worried in the first column, for example, and then calm or at peace in the second. But be honest, be sure that the second column is really a list of feelings that you'd rather have. Now, take a look at that list and see if any of them are the same. Do any of the ones from column one match up with the ones on column two? I'm guessing probably not. And then allow that reality to settle into your mind. If it were a matter of brute strength and just being able to experience whatever you wanted, you would choose joy, you would choose happiness, you would choose peace. And that's how you can remind yourself that the sad or anxious feelings that you're going through aren't a choice, right? They aren't a result of some kind of failure and they aren't because you're weak. And perhaps it might be worth thinking about uh, who it's safe to share your feelings with. You know, all of us want our family and our close friends to be those people for us, but in reality, sometimes they can't be. And through it all, please know that we're praying for you. Gina is up next. As a survivor of both childhood sexual torture and clergy abuse, I find it difficult to not succumb to bitterness 
and anger, especially when I see the continued ongoing failings of the Catholic Church in terms of abuse. How do we maintain love for the church and acknowledge the pain and rage and not be filled with bitterness? Let's pray together for Gina, for all survivors, and for our church that it be purged of the rot of abuse that has hurt so many. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that it was never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. First off, Gina, I just want to say how much I appreciate your witness. The fact that you're still here, still in the church, in spite of what you've been through, it's absolutely amazing to see. And, and I want you to know how much your strength inspires me, and I'm sure so many of those listening. I'm so deeply sorry that our church has let you down and all of us down so much. It's so unfair and I hate it and I wish it was different. It's especially hard when we see the church continue to put out statements that break our hearts or reports that seem to do little if anything and seem to be so hopelessly out of touch. It's so hard to continue to love the church in the midst of all this, so very hard. Uh, and I'll share two things that help me kind of push forward. First, Jesus, I trust in you. I try so hard, and I, I might be faking it until I make it, as saying this every day, to trust in God's providence, to trust that he's really the one in charge. And while the humans in the church are doing everything they can to mess up his plan, all of this is still under his providential control. I mean, when it seems like everything is lost and nothing seems to be heading anywhere good anytime soon, this is pretty much all we're left with anyway. So I've made it into a bit of my mantra. And second, I take a lot of hope and pride in the fact that we are the church and we can speak up against the injustices and harm done in our church. We can be that comforting person consoling the victims. We can be the ones who spark change, who publicly stand up and apologize for what has been done. For me, taking ownership of being the church and speaking out as a Catholic has empowered me not only to have to wait for the bishops to do the right thing, like I can do it. You can definitely do it with your personal experience that can touch so many. It may not be much, but I think it's what Christ is calling us to in this moment. Anonymous wraps us up. I'd be interested in knowing what a nervous breakdown is. I've heard the term thrown around before. Are symptoms different for each individual? Is hospitalization required? So let's kick this off by praying for Anonymous, for everyone who's ever experienced a nervous breakdown, and for our system of care to be ready uh, to address the needs of those who are suffering without difficulty and without judgment. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you for sending this in, Anonymous. Let's start with some help from Mayo Clinic, shall we? The term nervous breakdown is sometimes used by people to describe a stressful situation in which they're temporarily unable to function normally in day-to-day -day life. It's commonly understood to occur when life's demands become physically and emotionally overwhelming. So back to me. I would break it down to say the term nervous breakdown is a non-clinical way of saying that things have gotten to a breaking point. For some, that could be because of anxiety. It could be because of having panic attacks that lead to the emergency 
emergency room uh, because we feel like we're going to die, for example. For others, it might be a break from reality, like a psychotic episode where they start to hear voices or see things that aren't there or believe things that aren't actually true. Or, or maybe a manic episode where they start to go days without needing sleep, start experiencing racing thoughts, pressured speech, and start making risky decisions that seem out of character. And for others, it might mean just being so overwhelmed that we walk away from our work or other responsibilities. But it's at least worth noting that we don't use that phrase uh, in the field. And it's more commonly like a common parlance kind of thing that people say. So there's no requirement of symptoms or length of time to use the term, no requirement of hospitalizations, etc. If it fits, I would say you could feel free to use it. And if it fits, perhaps it's a good indicator that it might be time to reach out for help. God bless. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.